The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Hi, everybody. I'm Dexter Ray. You probably saw me giving you coffee. Hi. <laughs> me and my wife have been here for a few years now, and it's my pleasure to read from the Word of God today. If you can, I would invite you to stand up. We're reading from Acts today. Uh, Chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Uh, At the end, I'm going to say this is the word of God, and I invite you all to respond with thanks be to God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as any had need. Every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful hearts and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. How are you guys doing this morning? All right. Welcome. Welcome. Good morning. Welcome to Story City Church. My name is Jared. I am grateful to be one of your pastors here. It is a privilege and an honor uh, I like that we've got some people gathered in the center today, so that's good. I, sometimes I feel like we're like on the edges, so thank you all for, for doing that. Uh, I want to welcome you, whether you have been here with us all eight years or uh, whether you have come for the first time today or if you've never been here in person and are just joining us online, not just, but uh, if you're joining us online, either way, your story is welcome here, your story matters We are excited that you're here. Story City exists to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and people. And we do this by intentionally walking with Jesus. We, we use the word here, apprenticeship, right? Apprenticeship is learning at the feet of a master. It's how we, uh, we, we walk along with Jesus as we're watching, observing, and practicing the things he's called us to do. We do this by living in missional community groups, learning in studies, serving in teams, and loving and serving our community both individually and corporately. There's a lot of really cool things coming this year. I'm excited for us to participate in. And, and there's a lot in what I just said. So if you want to know more, you're like, hey, I got a question about that particular thing. The Consider Meeting is a great way to, uh, to get those questions answered. I would encourage you uh, checking one of those out. It's the last Sunday of every month, the 11 a.m. service. So you can come and tend to service and then go and get your question answers. And that way we have uh, child care at that service as well. Let's uh, pray, and then we'll continue on with this morning. Father God, we come before you and specifically ask that you would help us in the areas and our efforts in foster care and adoption. And Lord, there is so much need. There is, as you know, an epidemic, a crisis here in Los Angeles. And so we just pray for endurance and strength for resource parents in our community as they invite children into their families. Father, we pray for peace and understanding in every relationship with the foster children, the biological children, birth families of the foster children, social workers, and the church community. I pray that you would help us to, Lord, not just understand the issue, but understand our role. Father, I pray that each family, each child will be reminded of your provision and love for them when they feel worn out and overwhelmed for each family, bio and foster, that Lord, is wrestling through what it looks like, I pray that you would be their resource. And I pray that you would give families the courage to reach out and receive the support that they need. 
we love you and thank you that we get to be a small part of what you're doing in this county, in this area. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, let's get to our Minute to Mingle question for the day. So some of these questions are lighter, some of these are deeper. Uh, This is one of those ones It's going to be interesting to see what your answers are. What is worth being devoted to? What is worth being devoted to? What do you guys have? Health and wellness. Yep, sure. Yours or somebody else's? (laughs) That's a fair question, yeah. Your spouse, okay. Jesus. Consistency. Cats. I fully disagree. I'm pretty sure it's both in the Bible and the Geneva Convention that cats are not worth saving, but that's, I could be interpreting that wrong. I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm just teasing, but not. Okay, so (laughs) what else? I'm sorry. Uh, What else? Family. Okay. All right. Yeah. What else? Your sports team. I, maybe because I'm wearing an LA Galaxy shirt today. All right. I like it. Anything else? Friends. Yeah. Good. You're quiet this morning. Everybody knows there's coffee in the lobby, right? I just want to make sure we got that part now. All right. Anything else? Integrity. Integrity. So one of the interesting things, I want you to think back to the things that were answered in this room. And one of the interesting things is that a lot of the the answers that were given are, are good uh, ideals, right? They're, they're, they're semi-ambiguous. Like, what does it mean to be devoted to a particular thing uh, th- that is uh, more broad? So I'll pick on one of the last ones I heard. That's integrity, right? Not a bad thing to be devoted to, okay? But I believe that God has given us uh, very specific and practical things for us to be devoted to. And that's not to say it's wrong to be devoted to an ideal. It's, it's important to be devoted to an ideal. I'm just saying I think true devotion has to go beyond that to specific practical things. Now, let me give you an example. I can say that I am devoted to marriage, right? That's an important thing to be devoted to, correct? Yeah, my wife would agree. Okay, but if I don't devote myself to my wife in practical ways, then I might be devoted to the ideal of marriage, but not to my marriage. So to devote myself to my wife means to intentionally pursue her, to continually learn who she is and how I can best support her, how I can encourage her, serve her, and lead her, to work to know what she's passionate about and how to foster and encourage that in her, to challenge her to grow in her areas of weakness and to use her strengths and gifts in ways that she's not yet, to foster healthy communication and work to ensure that my heart is hers alone, to work to make myself desirable to her, not because she's asked that of me, but because I want to do that for her. That's how I devote myself to my marriage in particular and not just the ideal of marriage. Make sense? Okay, so I think that devotion is good to have devotion to an ideal, but we have to be devoted to practical things within that or it's just an ideal. It doesn't get down to the grassroots. Now, we're in the middle of our series, Go and Be the Church, and if you've been here before, you would notice that, or you might notice that at the end of every service, we end with that phrase, that charge, Go and Be the Church. What does that mean? Why do we make a point to emphasize it every single week? Now, today we're going to continue to talk about why this statement matters to us as a church. Last week, we talked about some of the reasons uh, why this statement matters to us. Um, we talked about how the church isn't a place we go, but it's who we are. 
We talked about how this isn't just a gathering of a group of people, but uh, a, a group of people who have been set apart on purpose by the Holy Spirit for God's purposes and reasons. We then focused on three things that make the church Jesus' church, right? There's lots of things that call themselves the church, but the church is specifically only Jesus' church, or at least that's the church that we're focusing on is Jesus' church. Uh, Otherwise, it would be outside the Bible. So first, the church is holy or set apart by God, not by our own efforts, not by our own actions, that God makes us holy because he sets us apart for his purposes. The second thing we talked about and where we're going to focus today is uh, that the church is apostolic, or in another way to say it would be in gathered Christian community around Jesus' mission and Jesus' teachings. And then finally, the church is Catholic, which does not refer to the Catholic Church as an entity, but Catholic meaning universal, the church worldwide. And we would say wherever you find Jesus' authentic church, it's the same church, even if it has different flavors. It's called to be universally holy, universally apostolic, and universally on mission. And so today we're going to focus, as I said, on the apostolic part of that. For those taking notes today, this is today's big idea. God designed his church to be continually devoted to scripture, fellowship, communion, prayer, and care. God designed his church to be continually devoted to scripture, fellowship, communion, prayer, and care. We'll talk about what that means, how to live out those things, and that the church must be devoted. Let's go back and remind ourselves of today's scripture. It comes from the book of Acts, chapter um, 2. 42 to 47, and uh, again, if you open your Bible to about the middle, you'll find yourself in the Psalms of the Proverbs, that's the Old Testament, keep scrolling forward, right, swiping right, uh, until you get to the New Testament, uh, which starts with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the very next book is Acts, and we'll be in the beginning of Acts, chapter 2, 42 to 47, it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many signs and wonders were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved." Now, today we're going to be working primarily from 42 and then 44 to 46. And we'll be able to see the result of those actions in verse 43 and 47. So for now, let's start with what we mean by that big word apostolic. What do we mean by apostolic? Merriam-Webster's Dictionary Online defines apostolic as of relating to or conforming to the teachings of the New Testament apostles. J.I. Packer expands on this by teaching the church is apostolic because it, see, it seeks to maintain the disciples' doctrine unmixed. Okay, what, is, what does that mean? It means it's the church's commitment to sola scriptura or scripture alone that makes us apostolic, not simply a line of succession from the original apostles. What are we talking about? Uh, some of my friends in the Catholic tradition would say that one of the reasons they're the church is that they trace their roots by uh, papal succession. Whereas we would trace our roots to the apostles by the apostles' teaching. That's what we would say connects us to the early church. Now, Catholics are Christians, right? I love when uh, sometimes Catholics are like, are you Christian or Catholic? It's like, yes and no. (laughs) 
<laughs> Catholics worship Jesus, right? There are just as many people who love and worship Jesus in the Catholic Church as there are many people in the Baptist faith that have no idea who Jesus is, right? We're following Jesus. We are Christians. There are beliefs that we share that make us Christians, and so don't hear me bashing on the Catholic Church. That's not what I'm doing. The point here is we're talking about the importance of our connection to Scripture over tradition and as it relates to what makes us the church. So the way that we would say, what difference between our tradition and their tradition is that we would say, uh, we have a different understanding of what makes us the church than they do. Does that make sense? Okay, cool. So look at our, with me at our scripture again, specifically verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayer. Now, I, I don't have time to go into every single one of these and get super nuanced on what they mean, but I'm gonna do my best to at least give some explanation. And so verse 42, we see the early church devoted to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. First, we have the apostles' teaching. Now, this refers to scripture, theology, and doctrine, okay? So scripture is the words of God, right? In this, uh, uh, authors, human authors were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write an infallible uh, uh, word of God that we believe is God speaking to us. We believe that's only possible through the Holy Spirit. Theology is a study or understanding of God. And this is where we say, okay, this is, this is how, we, how we understand God's character. This is what we understand him to be. And they got that from hanging out with Jesus, right? And then doctrine is how we apply those things, okay? This is what we understand. This is kind of putting it all together. And we would say those are what the apostles did, is they taught us scripture, theology, and doctrine based on, on that stuff. Remember, Jesus opened up the scriptures and said, let me show you how this points to me. At the time, they only had the Old Testament. And so Jesus says, the Old Testament points to me. It's important because it talks about and prepares the way for me. So the early church was devoted to the scriptures and to the apostles' teachings of the thing they learned from Jesus himself, which would later become scripture as well. Through the Holy Spirit, the apostles, as I said, were inspired to write what later became the New Testament. There is no church of Jesus, no Jesus' church, without the scriptures, all the scriptures. There's a, a thing going around uh, uh, on social media, and it's like a, a, a pastor basically saying, uh, we skipped over this verse because it's yikes. We don't like that. Uh, we don't get to do that. Either the scriptures are all for us or basically none of them are for us. We can't pick and choose which scriptures we want. You see, the Bible is one cohesive story about God. God created, we rebelled, and then the rest of the scriptures are the story of God's incredible love, forgiveness, and plan to rescue and redeem all creation through the person and work of Jesus. Now, it's one story that points to him, his character, his heart, his mission, his sacrifice. He is the hero of the story we get to participate in, but the Bible is not about us. It's about his pursuit of his wayward creation. Now, this is hard, but whenever we disagree with Scripture, it's our hearts and minds that need to change, not Scripture, right? So we don't just go, okay, I'm not going to put that part in. We don't get, there's some stuff, trust me, I was like, I I wish I didn't have to preach that. It would be a lot easier. Right, if I didn't have to do that part of it. But our hearts and minds need to change, not scripture. And so the early church devoted itself to the study of and obedience to the scriptures. They were learning about God so they could love God more and more and be obedient to him. Next, the early church was devoted, bless you, to fellowship. Now, this is this is cool. This is like um, they were hanging out to build friendships and to support each other through this new life. Now, we know that they met regularly in an area of the temple called Solomon's Portico, 
right? So they were constantly meeting in Solomon's portico. They're hanging out, but also throughout the week in each other's homes. They didn't just come together for a quick Bible study. They lived life together. This wasn't like a compartmentalized, I do my Sunday thing and then I go do the rest of my life. I'm fulfilling my obligation. I hit my week on Sunday. These were, they, they're like, hey, we're, we're doing life together. The word that's used there means active togetherness in a way that's special. It's getting to share the activities and privileges only because you belong to that group. It's exclusive in some ways, right? It's like, hey, everybody's welcome, but we're doing this thing together because we're, we're belonging to it. We're devoted to this life on life in community. This brings us to the breaking of bread. Now, this is a reference both to meals and communion. And, and, and we know this because communion uh, wasn't exactly what it looks like now. Jesus left us two sacraments in particular that he commanded us to continue to do. One was to baptize people. Right? He said, baptize pe- people in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. Go and do that. As you're going, go baptize people. That's a part of what Jesus commands us to do. The, the second one he commands us to do is to participate in communion often, to participate in communion often. And I actually want to move us to a place where we do communion every week just because I don't know that we understand the importance of what communion really is. Now, it's funny because the argument against doing it every week is that it becomes a ritual or routine and we miss it, but you can have it as a ritual or routine doing it once a month as much as you can have it as a ritual routine. The idea is to make sure that our hearts are right there. But Jesus said do this often. It should be something that we do often. All right, and so communion then uh, was a meal that the church had together, right? Uh, It it didn't look like it does now. It was a meal they shared, right? We know this because part of it was talking about in 1 Corinthians, Paul has to tell the church like, hey, uh, you guys who are wealthy are eating before other people who are not wealthy uh, are, and you're actually eating up all the food, and so those people are still hungry, and some of you are even getting drunk on the communion wine, which I don't know if you've had communion wine. It's pretty gross, so... (laughs) They obviously had way better wine than we use for communion wine. Now, uh, I, and we're Baptists, right? So we got to use the grape juice. I, I get it, whatever. But um, <laughs> never mind. I won't go there. But <laughs> I'm just thinking like a really good piece of bread and some whiskey is a great communion time, but uh, not, not for everybody. And I get that. It's cool. All right. So, uh, so communion was this meal, right? It was a shared meal. And it represents, uh, it's, it's like a part of the meal that Jesus shares at the Last Supper. He's having this, this incredible communion with them. And he, this is the first place he tells them, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And he says, keep doing this in remembrance of me. It comes from that meal. And so they were, they were uh, replicating that in some ways. And again, it doesn't look the same, but, but there's a lot to it. And they were devoted to eating together, to hanging out together, to being a part of that together. The next thing we see in verse 42 is the church was devoted to prayer. The church was devoted to prayer. And I, I will say this, even, even here, we struggle sometimes where prayer becomes something we do for transition and not something we do to spend time with the Lord. Right? All churches, not all churches, most churches struggle with that. Church becomes, a prayer becomes something you do so people can come on and off stage. Uh, and, and that's not necessarily wrong. It's just, if that's all that prayer is, we've minimized prayer to be something that's not what it's intended to be. See, prayer isn't like asking God for stuff like he's some sort of cosmic ATM. But so often that's what it becomes. We've, we've reduced God to our cosmic, give me what I need stuff. And see, prayer is both listening and talking to God. Like we're in a relationship with him. 
You all know the friend that never gives you a word to speak. You're like, can I, can, can I, 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 right? Like it's, it's tough. And, and God is asking us like, hey, I, I want to share stuff with you. I want to talk to you. But we don't give them time or space. And so prayer is as much about listening as it is talking. In Acts 1.14, it says they were, the church was continually united in prayer and in waiting on the Lord. They understood sometimes God doesn't speak right away. Sometimes they don't get it right away. There is this devotion to listening and waiting and being a part of, all right, God, we're here together in unity for your purposes together committed to waiting on God for his responses. And so we listen to God. God talks. God talks. We listen uh, God listens to us. It's, it's back and forth. It's amazing. All right, we'll come back to verse 43, but for now, look with me at verses 44 to 46. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere Hearts. Now, this is not, as some people have suggested, a big Christian commune sequestered away from the world where no one owed anything to anybody. I had some friends that were all excited to start a church that they wanted to be like, they wanted to buy an apartment building. And then just basically like everybody there lived together in this, like it was all shared commune thing, right? Cool idea. I like the idea, but that's, they were trying to base it off the, the early church, and that's not what happened, right? Because the, the idea is that the church wasn't so focused inward. They did care for each other. They hung out together. They did life together. But we know two things didn't happen. They didn't sell all their property. How do we know this? Because the Bible says they continue to meet house to house, right? If you don't have no houses, you have no place to meet. So they were meeting house to house. They also were... Uh, were uh, not, uh, th- what they were selling was what was extra, right? They, whoever had something went, hey, th- there's, there's a need. I've got extra. So the way that I would put it, maybe a better example would be like, our family might say, hey, we had a family vacation planned, but we see that there's this deep need. And so we're going to forego our family vacation this year to take care of that. That's where our money's going to go to. Yeah, it's a sacrifice, but you know what? That's an appropriate sacrifice to care for somebody's needs. We can give this up for that, right? It's still costly. It's still costly, Right? But it's, it's a part of like, hey, this is what we're doing to, to make sure that we are together and caring. Now, how do we know that they weren't so internally focused? It says because they enjoyed the favor of the people around them, people who are not Jesus' apprentices. They had to be interacting, right? So they, they had, they'd never forgot their role is to model who Jesus is to the people around them. And so they didn't get so focused on this that they missed what Jesus had done in the first place, the expanding of God's kingdom. Okay, so they were attentive and sensitive to the needs of the people around them, and they were willing to give what they had to help others. Now, that is the part that we want to pay attention to, but also this, that they, it wasn't required of them. That wasn't a law set forth. It's simply they did it because they understood and loved God and loved people enough that they did this out of joyful and willing hearts. This is why we have a, reminding, a reminder in our offering time that we don't give out of compulsion Right, but out of joy or willing hearts. Listen, family, if we can't do that, then don't give. I would rather have us spending time talking to God about where our hearts are than feeling guilted or forced to give. God is after our hearts, not our money. Now, God uses money as a reflection of where our heart is, right? So that's an important part, but... but God cares more about our hearts 
than our money. The early church understood the assignment. So have we seen? They were devoted to scripture. They're devoted to fellowship. They're devoted to communion, to prayer, and to care. But there was one common word we heard here over and over and over and over again. Anybody know what it is? Devoted. That's right. Thank you, Shawana. I love it. That's right. Absolutely. Here's our first observation today for those taking notes. To be the church, we must be devoted. To be the church, we must be devoted. One of the questions we have to ask ourselves is this. Was the early church primitive or was it prototype? Was it primitive or was it prototype? What do I mean? If the church was primitive, we would say, hey, that's great. They had no idea what they were doing which they didn't, but they have no idea what they're doing, and uh, that was a good start, but it's not where we needed to go. Let's wipe that out, and let's pay attention to what we need to do now. And so we build church based on, on now, and we go, that, that's something we just scrap. If it's prototype, we say, hey, they, uh, they had an understanding, probably because they were built and founded on people who had been with Jesus personally, and so we should model ourselves after that because they understood what was going on. And so I'm going to posit that we as a church should look at the early church as a prototype, not as primitive. I think we need to look more like them. I think what the church does or doesn't do speaks to who the church is or is not. I think that what the church does or doesn't do speaks to who the church is or is not. Many people don't realize that when the church is at its best, it has contributed to health care, education, service, justice, care, freedom, hope, love, especially to the poor, the broken, the marginalized, the widow, the orphan, the resident alien, and those who cannot speak to themselves. That is where the church has been its best. Some of the most premier institutions in this country were founded as seminaries. Princeton University is founded as a seminary, right? Look at the hospitals. Why do you think they have saints' names attached? Many hospitals were built on the idea of this is our role, our responsibility as the church. This is exactly what God has always tasked his church with. Over and over and over and over, uh, we see God get angry in the Old Testament uh, with his people when they act like the nations around them. When they stop serving God, they stop acting like the way that God has told them to be. They start acting like the nations around them. And what is God's issue with them is that they stop caring for those who are in need. People get all caught up in the idea of an angry God in the Old Testament and and a loving God in the New Testament, but Jesus goes after, puts the Pharisees, puts the religious leaders on blast for all of eternity for the exact same thing. The religious leaders were making God inaccessible to the average person by adding requirements that God never added. They were using religious rules to keep them from having to care for and welcome those who didn't fit their mold. You think of Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, right? The priest, the Levite, all the religious people pass by. Well, I can't touch a dead body. I can't break these laws. And they said, God is saying, look, you're using these things in the wrong way to keep you from caring for people when they should push you into caring for people. God is never happy with anything or anyone that keeps people from him. Okay, this idea of devoted, though, it has a meaning, but it also has a sense or an intention of how it's to be used. And the the word means to persist or be closely associated with. But it also includes this idea that it's continual, intentional, focused, and committed to something even when it's difficult. 
That's what devoted means. It's an unwavering commitment. In other words, the early church was continually, intentionally, unwaveringly, I think that's a word, focused on and committed to scripture, fellowship, communion, prayer, and care. And the result of that is something we get to see in verse 43 and 47. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles and they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts so their hearts change, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So why does God care if we're devoted? I want you to hear this because this is an important part of understanding what it means to apprentice Jesus. Many of us were taught that the way we determine God's favor is if we're blessed. Many of us were taught that the way that we interpret God's favor is if things are going well for us. And if things are going wrong, then either God's angry, we messed up, or both. But that can't be further from the truth. Again, God is more concerned with our hearts than our actions. God has promised that we will suffer if we follow him. It's a promise of scripture. We serve a suffering Savior, why would we not expect to suffer ourselves? Now, some of that suffering comes from our own hurts, habits, hang-ups, and poor choices. Some of it comes from others' poor choices, hurts, habits, and hang-ups, right? The stuff done to us. That's just the reality of life. But the Bible promises that God will take even what the enemy means for evil and bring out of those situations an outcome that is best for us and for his kingdom. Now, even though it's not about Uh, Even though it's about our hearts, not our actions, our actions, as I've said before, create a good indicator of where our heart is. Fam, this is important. Devotion is not passive. Devotion is not passive. It's active. We cannot be truly devoted without acting on that devotion. Now, the good news is that God is there to show us exactly how, right? The Holy Spirit walks with us in the good and the bad, in the hard times and the suffering. Now, in those hard times and suffering, we can lose sight of what God is doing, but it doesn't mean he's not right there working. Having a devoted heart is a process that God works in and through. It doesn't just happen overnight. It's not just an instant thing. We have something we have to work at. The same way I have to work at my marriage, right? It's, it's a constant there. Let me give you two examples that illustrate this point. The first is from the book of Kings in the Old Testament. There's a wicked king ruling Israel, and God sends a prophet to proclaim a drought. Okay, this has all kinds of implications. And so God tells that prophet named Elijah that when, when God tells him, hey, uh, I want you to, to say there's going to be a drought, and when it's over, I'm going to tell you it's over, and then you pray for rain, and rain is going to come. Right? That's, that's all he's got to do. And so God uh, has Elijah proclaim the drought. Drought is proclaimed. God tells him, hey, it's time to end the drought. Say the words. The drought will end. Elijah says the words. He tells the people, and then he goes up to Mount Carmel to, Carmel to pray. Carmel, Carmel. Caramel, right? It's just, it's just, he goes to the sweet place. <laughs> okay, so here's it is, 1 Kings 18, 42 to 44. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the summit of Mount Carmel. He bent down on the ground and put his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, go up and look towards the sea. So he went up, looked, and said, there's nothing. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. On the seventh time, he reported, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand coming up from the sea. Then Elijah said, go until Ahab, get your chariot ready and go down so the rain doesn't stop you. All right, God's already declared this is going to happen. You guys with me so far? Right? God said, hey, this is what you got to do. God said, hey, it's, we, I, I'm going to tell you, when it's over, it's over. All you got to do is say it, and it's over. All good. So why did God make Elijah pray six more times? 
Something happens to us in the process of being faithfully devoted to God. And it doesn't happen instantaneously. There are some things God miraculously does that way. But for most of us, the reality is that it's a process. And in that process, through those things that we go through, God uses that to shape our hearts, our faith, and our character. Let me give you one more personal example. The day my son Chance was born, some of you have seen him, sits in the second service in a wheelchair in the back. Um, We did not know Chance had Down syndrome at that point. Everything looked to be appropriate. We had a healthy pregnancy. Everything was good. It's progressing as expected. It's my second child. I'm ready to cut the umbilical cord. And suddenly the doctor shouts an expletive. The number of the people in the room swell. There's lights flashing. And then suddenly there's no one there but my wife and me. Right? This is a moment. She's like, what is happening? We're too stunned to have any reaction. We're trying to figure out what's happening. And then what, after what seemed like an eternity, a doctor comes sliding in. It's a, it's a resident. She's learning. And she says this. She says, your son swallowed a ton of meconium. That's the baby poop. It's the worst we've seen in 15 years. We're going to lifeline him to children's, but he's not going to make it, just so that you know. And, uh, oh, and by the way, you knew he has Down syndrome, right? And then she ran out of the room. And we're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, what, what just happened? Uh, over the last 19 years of Chance's life, We've added autism and epilepsy to the things that he has to contend with. And so raising chance is something that my wife and I have to be devoted to. It's not a short-term commitment, right? It's not a season of struggle and he won't need us anymore. He will for his entire life depend on us as his parents. We have to be devoted continually, intentionally, unwaveringly focused on and committed to chance. And as much as we love him, that's still not easy. Now, the reward is both now and in heaven, right? For now, God has shaped our character, our hearts, and even our temperaments. God has shown us so much about his love, his grace, his mercy through Chance's life. And Chance's life teaches us about God's character. In heaven, we will get to see that actually fulfilled. We will get to see our son healthy in all the ways God originally intended him to be. For now, though, it's a continual lesson learned through continual devotion. We see God's presence consistently with us in the hardships. See, the Holy Spirit is so often our teacher, and and we are so much more willing to listen when things aren't easy or going well. There's something that happens when things get difficult. You're like, all right, God, how are we going to do this? Church, it's the exact same thing with our apprenticing of Jesus. God has given us specific things to be devoted to as his church on his mission. It's not an easy one-time thing that we do. We must be devoted, continually, intentionally, unwaveringly focused on and committed to scripture, fellowship, communion, prayer, and care. This is what we're committed to at Story City. This is what we are committed to at Story City. It's what we're building towards. We're not all those places yet. We're not doing everything perfect. We're still figuring things out, right? But it's why we've, we are built the way we are, why we have discipleship rhythms like worship and services, live in groups, learn and study, serve in teams. It's why we're focused on foster care and adoption and church planting. All of these things are ways we practice and live out our devotion to being the church. All of this is a part of what we mean when we say, go and be the church. That's why we say it. It means all of this stuff. That's why we need a whole series to explain it because there's so much in that one Statement. So here's what we learned today, family. God designed his church to be continually devoted to scripture, fellowship, communion, prayer, and care. To live out those things practically, the church must be devoted. This is what it means to be an apostolic Christian community. Good?
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we conclude this time of worship and service, we take a moment to reflect on what you've said to us through both praise and scripture. We express our gratitude for all you're doing in us and through us, Lord. And as we prepare to leave, we ask that you help us to love you and everyone around us with all we are and have. May the way we live bring you glory, and may we carry the message of your love and grace with us wherever we go. And now to this community of Christ's apprentices, I pronounce this benediction. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the unity of the Holy Spirit abide with us always. May our love for Jesus and people continually grow. Go and be the church.